All right. Well, I'm hoping that this machine here can fade out that music a oh. little bit better. Oh, okay. Let's try it again. Hang on. Hang on. Stay tuned. There we go. There we go. Money well spent. <laughs> well done. All right. Welcome to the False 10 football show uh, where we'll talk everything football, um, what's happening right now, and, and um, welcome, Hef. Thank you. And obviously, yep, False 10 football show. That name came from our early days playing together. Obviously, Jonesy thought he was number 10, and uh, no one else in the team did. So that's how we got to the name, False 10 football show. And Look, it's our first show, and we're very lucky to have a, a first special guest, <laughs> as Jonesy just nods in agreement. Um, very lucky to have this guest. He's been recently appointed as the new CEO for the Professional Footballers Australia, the PFA. Uh, his name is Bo Bush. He's had a wealth of experience in the professional game as a player, both here and overseas. Um, he spent the best part of a decade um, representing the players as the national manager of player development, deserved promotion. Bo, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Hef. Yeah, well, so far it's been, um, you know, I was appointed last week, which was obviously, um, you know, a massive, a massive honour. Um, you know, to have that trust of the players is is really humbling, but also importantly from my my playing career. Um, had certainly some challenges in relation to um, some matters in regards to clubs, and the PFA was always always there for me and the one constant throughout um, a playing career, like it is for a lot of players. It was really sort of quite precarious and unfortunately um, pretty short term. But the PFA made a major impact on on me um, in terms of the way um, that they supported me during those difficult times, um, their expertise that they gave, and the assurance that they gave. So. I got to know from a playing perspective the critical role that it played um, and then I've worked for the players now for almost seven years um, in a variety of roles. So that's given me a good sort of understanding of all the different aspects of the work that we do. Um, I guess in a way almost given me a helicopter view of that. Um, and then now um, to come into this role um, is obviously it's going to be an extremely challenging and important role, but I'm really fortunate to have yeah, sorry, to have the leadership of, of the players um, in terms of the delegates, the executive and, and the broader sort of rank and file members that we've got. Um, and then critically as well, the staff that are truly amazing. So I come into an organisation that's thankfully in really good shape. You're also a co-CEO with Catherine Gill. How much support and, and how will that work down there when you're on the job for the players? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think one of the things I've always said to said to people, you know, the, the union prides itself on being run by players for players, and that will that will always be be the case. I think, you know, Kate and I have known each other for for a really long time. Um, we both are from Newcastle, um, and I think we both uh, complement each other really well in the role, and we've always had a really collaborative relationship. Um, so I'm really confident that we can do a really good role together. As I said before, it's a considerable role and quite quite challenging. Um, and we follow in in really big footsteps in the in the likes of of John and Brendan um, and Craig Foster as well, Kim Montelli, Doris that have filled the role before. So 
we just were of the belief and so too with the executive fortunately that the two of us would be um, best equipped to work in partnership to be able to get good outcomes for the members. A-League Bow is not far away. Um, what's, I guess, what's the progress with that? I know COVID's had a, you know, a big effect on how that will play out. Can you give us any updates on the league? Yeah, it's been it's been a really challenging few months, and you know the A League's not been alone in being confronted by you know massive the massive impacts both economically and and from a health point of view um, from COVID nineteen. Um, I think the thing we're all most excited about is simply seeing the players back back on the pitch. It was a real milestone to get get players back to training, um, and I think collectively a huge sigh of relief. Um, and then now to be able to go and have discussions about, as I've joked to a few people about offside, um, hopefully 25-yard screamers, referees' decisions and those sort of things, those sort of things that seem to occupy so much of our time, to be able to resume back to that will, will be great. So we're really encouraged by that. I think what's been evident throughout this is the players have made enormous sacrifices to be able to resume the league. Um, you know, Wellington Phoenix are now in have just completed their second stint um, of isolation. The Melbourne teams have had to make their way unexpectedly early up to Sydney and will potentially be in that environment for five weeks. Um, Perth will be re- relocating over, over to the eastern seaboard and that's not taking into account um, the economic um, challenges that players are, are facing with reduced salaries for this period of time. So they've made a massive um, sacrifice because they believe in the sport and they know how critical it is that we get back up and running. Um, and it's going to be really encouraging to, to see everyone back out there. Um, and as I said, hopefully uh, debating um, offsides and those sort of things rather than having discussions about how to navigate border closures and those sort of things for the next few months. Yeah, I, I think that's a massive point you made there, Bo, on, on the sacrifice the players have made. And I've spoken to you a few times over the last few months in regards to this, and I feel like this will be something or a moment that will be remembered for a long time to come within our game because without the players and, and like you said, the sacrifices they've made in terms of not only financially but some of these players' um, partners are pregnant or they've just had kids or... You know, they're paying off mortgages and they're taking these big pay cuts and now they're going to be away for their families for so long and not to mention the dramas we had with the three Melbourne teams who are now all okay and all all um, saddled up in Western Sydney somewhere, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So they're up there at the moment. And I think on that point, you sort of make, you know, this isn't the first time that players collectively have taken, um, you know, significant steps and, and personal sacrifice for what they believe is in the best interest and long-term interest of the game um, and that they've been committed to ensuring that there is a strong and thriving game to come for generations after them. And they've sort of put, I guess, essentially their own um, self-interest well behind the interest of the game and the generations that follow them. And that happened previously with the Socceroos um, in terms of um, money that they left on the table to allow the A-League to start, um, for the sacrifices the Matildas made in, in 2015 when they knew that there was um, an opportunity that needed to be seized to advance women's football and make the career path a more attractive and secure one um, to up until in the NSL when decisions were made to essentially close down that league to allow for the restart um, of a new competition in the A-League because the players simply deemed that that's what was required to build a 
flourishing industry. And for many players, that was effectively the end of their career. So it's not the first time the players have, have taken significant steps um, and have essentially put their own self-interest well behind the interests of the game and those that come after them. Um, so it's something that we're, we're really proud of that, of that history that we've had and, and all the achievements of the players, but most importantly, their commitment to each other and commitment to the players that come after them. Yeah, and you mentioned in there the sacrifices that Matilda's made back in 2015 um, and also the Socceroos. But just as a segue to that for the W League, and what, what's the plans now for the W League and, and going forward in terms of the competition structure and how much of an effect, um, a positive effect, is 2023, obviously winning the World Cup, going to have on the women's game? Yeah, I think it's a huge moment um, to host that World Cup. You know, we've all seen the photos and the reactions of, of the players and the journey um, that they've been on to get to this point. And I think that certainly we could describe the players as absolute believers in the sport. So I'm, I'm hugely, um, you know, proud to be associated with them and to see them come out on their home turf in 2023 to hopefully try and lift. The Women's World Cup will be a huge moment um, personally for them, but also a huge moment more broadly for the sport. So I think in line with that, the W League now um, has a number of significant questions um, that it will be asking of itself and we'll certainly be working through those via um, the collective bargaining agreement negotiations ahead of the next season. And that's really where does the W League sit in the global sort of ecosystem. Um, we've seen the really sort of rapid emergence of women's football, particularly in Europe, since the Women's World Cup in France. Um, so that poses real opportunities for the W League to find its um, its niche, um, be that as a development league or in trying to be amongst the best leagues in the world. So there's some really key strategic decisions. Um, also, those decisions will be made um, in an environment that is has become more challenging due to the coronavirus um, impact on the game's finances. But importantly, there's more of an opportunity as well too because that's had an impact on other leagues as well too where if we can emerge stronger with a better recovery plan for the game's finances, then I think there's a really good opportunity for the W League to emerge as a real powerhouse and can really ensure that we're producing a great um, generation of Matildas to follow after this truly world-class generation that we've got now. So that's a real challenge for the W League. Is this a, a sort of one-off generation or can the W League play a critical role in building, I guess, a production line of world-class talent that can go on and have the capacity to emulate Sam and Caitlin and Lydia and Steph playing at some of the best leagues and best clubs in the world. Yeah, really well said, mate. Uh, Bo, question... Um TV deal. Um, it, as a fan, um, obviously we want access to you know to the product or to the game as, as often as we can. Do you have any insight or can you share anything around that? I think what um, you know it was obviously incredibly challenging. You know, Fox Sports and their their business model, like everybody um, across the country and across the world, was obviously facing a range of challenges. What I'm really encouraged is that that's been secured the game platform. Um, to be able to move forward in 2021 season for both the professional leagues, the W League and the A League, and ensures we keep relationships off, which has been such a pivotal one um, to A League exception. Um, so that's really encouraging from that from that point of view. Um, I think the next sort of key part 
of that is that through the deal, as I understand it, all the great broadcast um, quality production values are in place, um, which is obviously critical to the fan experience as well too. So I think it's important that that's been secured now. Um, we need to capitalise on the certainty that, that that gives our leagues and the security that comes from that. Um, our hope is that we can increase that via reaching really good collective bargaining agreement outcomes for the players in the next round and really enhance um, both um, the product on the pitch but also the league's ability to attract and retain top talent because we know that's really crucial to um, ensuring that we can connect with as many fans across Australia. So I think in sort of summary, um, I'm really encouraged that that's, been, that that's been agreed. It gives us an opportunity now to um, and the security that we needed to be able to improve both of our professional leagues over the next 12 months. Yeah, that's good, mate. And look, uh, there's been a lot of mention about different avenues that we can take in regards to broadcasting post the Fox deal. And it's probably one of the things that the golden generation uh, board, so to speak, that they've got together. It's, it's a major topic in there about having a Netflix type of um, broadcasting arrangement for the A-League and the W-League, how how good do you think that could be for the game and um, and what other things are the Golden Generation Board doing that you think can help us? Yeah, I think firstly it's great um, that they have formed um, this group, you know, to think of the incredible experiences that they've had um, playing at some of the best clubs in the world in, in the toughest leagues and also many of them what they've gone on to forge uh, post-career as well. So it's really encouraging. What we're seeing is by forming groups such as this um, with people of high calibre, as the likes of um, Mark Schwarzer, Lucas Neal, Craig Moore, um, Vince Grella and Mark Paducah, um, that we're now creating greater accountability for everyone within um, the sport, which is critical if we are to get better. Um, more of a contest of ideas and they're going off and doing the work to put forward good work um, into the industry to be considered by others. And I think in terms of discussions about Netflix style over the top um, platforms are really great ones to be having. It's really crucial that everybody is exploring a range of different innovations that can allow the sport to to improve so I'm really encouraged by by what they're doing um, it's going to be a key point of contact and I'm keen to have further discussions with them it's something that the sport historically hasn't done well is keep our legends involved in the sport to really gain from their insights um, and I think groups such as this give us a greater capacity to do that um, so I think there's going to be lots to learn from the work that they're doing in consultation, and I think critically as well, um, it's great to have more accountability um, for organisations within the industry, and they they have certainly the credibility and expertise to be able to um, play a key role in that. As long as there's a spotlight on our game, a spotlight on areas that we can improve and and that we're providing solutions and and get us thinking ahead uh, for the A League and the W League and national teams, um, then golden generation board and and things like this can only help our game so um it's really good to see things like that as you said and look i guess the next thing for us is um and and for yourself is what's what's next on the agenda for the pfa what, what's the most pressing points that you want to try and get sorted over the next 12 months yeah i think a, a key part now the current um, CBAs for both the W League and the A League um, expire at the end. Well, the, the W League one has expired, but the A League one has been extended out um, 
do include this extension period, so it so it expires at the end of August. So that's a key priority for the players. We know that's absolutely critical. Um, that agreement to ensuring um, hopefully the continued growth of Australian football, and importantly, it's going to be a key element of the recovery plan from the impacts of coronavirus. As you guys rightly pointed out, we've got this great opportunity in 2023 um, for to have the eyes of the world on. Australian football and it's really vital that we get our professional leagues in the best possible shape in the lead up to that because there are going to be a lot of commercial opportunities in the lead up to that so it is crucial that we we get them right and we believe the CBA as it's proved over the course um, in the NFL to the A-League is the most uh, effective way for the industry to ensure continued growth so that's a real priority right now that um, and then the key part is going to be as it always is you know uh, for us as an organization deeply engaging the players in all of the decisions that are made in the sport because it has a profound impact on them and their insights as athletes are invaluable in that decision making process and really ensuring that um, we bring know-how um, and expertise and we do the work when we're going into those discussions with FFA and the club to ensure we get it, you know we essentially put forward an evidence-based um, argument in those discussions. So that's going to be crucial over the next next few months for these negotiations, which are absolutely vital um, to ensuring that Australian football can recover as swiftly as possible and then really capitalise on the opportunity that we have for the Women's World Cup in, in 2023. Awesome. Thanks, Bo. Bo, want to thank you for your time, mate. Really appreciate you jumping on the podcast. Um, chatting through some real, uh, you know, some key topics at the moment. Um, look forward to chatting again. Congrats and, and good luck over the next 12 months and beyond that um, in bringing our game forward. No, thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Bo, Thanks, mate. mate. Cheers, guys. Very smart guy. Uh, very committed to the players. And um, when you've got someone like that as your CEO representing you from the front, um, you're always in good hands. Uh, that gives me so much confidence knowing that someone like Bo is there um, to represent, as I said, the players um, in the game. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't understand is the sacrifices that players have made across any league, you know, A-League in particular. What kind of sacrifices do these guys make? Well, see, and this is the thing, um, and I have this conversation a lot still. I've had this conversation with you over the years, and, um, you know, people think when you travel to Melbourne um, that you're travelling around and going for coffee. Cafe, <laughs> what, are you, what are you drinking <laughs> when you go to Melbourne? Cafe, yeah. But when you go on an away trip, whether it's Perth, Melbourne, wherever it might be, you're in your room. You know, you're, you're watching TV, you're maybe watching the game uh, that's on the night before your game, uh, you're getting hydrated, you're seeing the physio, you're eating the right foods to, to make sure that um, you're at your best the next day. Um, you're giving up time from your family every weekend, every second weekend. Uh, you're giving up time with family and friends, uh, the amount of weddings and parties and things like that. And But you know what, you don't actually have a choice. Because if you want to be the best or if you want to be a professional, these are the things you have to do. Because at the end of the day, the the game doesn't lie. And if you want to have success, you have to be willing to give up things and, and sacrifice. And for the players to do that on a normal week, let alone COVID now, 
where you're asking them to come and play for up to 70% less on their salary to keep the game alive, to be away from their families in hubs um, for a month at a time. So as Bo said, Wellington coming into their fourth week away from mm. and out of their country, um, New Zealand obviously, and um, now the Melbourne players and, and the things they went through last week just to get out of Victoria. So it's a lot of sacrifice and... As Bo said, over the years, there's been the trailblazers, the the Socceroos in 2005 who, who made sacrifices to get the A-League off the ground, um, you know, and um, the Matildas in 2015. So there's, there's so many things that the players stick together for and it's just good to be able to chat to someone like Bo who, who probably doesn't get in the media enough, I feel. Um, to let them know and let people know what what the actual the, the players actually do to make sure there's a game on the weekend. Yeah, for sure. And as a you know, again, as a fan, we're the first to jump on players when they're not performing. We don't really understand the things that happen in the background. Um, and it's you know, I guess for you know our point of view or my point of view in particular of doing this is give a different perspective. You know, give an understanding of what people go through on a daily and and the and the sacrifices that everyone has made to get this game that we all love back in the forefront so um you know it's good it's good to get some insight around that yeah it's it is good and when they do actually start playing these games and and you cross the white line um people are going to expect them to be at their best you know these these boys um these they've been training for a few weeks they're risking their health as well um to be able to put on a spectacle for the average Joe to watch from home. So I think it's important that people know that as well. Um, these players will be as ready as they can be and they will perform. We know that. But at the same time, we can't have that expectation that it's going to be the best football we've ever seen, just like in the Bundesliga and the Premier League as well. well. We're at the business end of the season as well. So, you know, we want everyone to do well. We want it back. We want the game back um, in front of us. Um, so exciting times um, Yeah, can't wait There's a game every 27 days <laughs> A game Every day <laughs> We're not editing anything out by the way <laughs> A game every day for 27 days So it's it's going to be great I can't wait um, I know my kids can't wait to start watching some footy Awesome, and W League Exciting times, are what's happening around the women's game Yeah, look, there's Finally now we can start talking about the women's game um, It's different to other countries in terms of the W League, uh, each team sits under their A-League banner other than Canberra United. So um, the pressing issue for the clubs and the league was to get the A-League finished. We managed to finish ours. I think the grand final for the W League was um, families and friends only. And then from then on, they were all behind closed doors for another two weeks before they shut down the A-League. So... We managed to finish the W League. Um, it was a brilliant year. Add on top of that the fact that we've got a World Cup in 2023 to come. That's huge, huge for the game. Um, and I think it's what the game deserves uh, for the W League. I worked with these girls all year and I, I see the work they put in. I see the results they get back on the GPS, which isn't far off what the men do, that's for sure. Um, these girls are running over... 13 Ks a game, um, doing the same amount of sprints in a game. So they work just as hard, they train just as hard, and I think by getting the Women's World Cup 
it's going to give them a bit of a push and the recognition they deserve as well going into the next few years for the women's game. Big 12 months coming up, um, all the right people involved, Bo, the CEO, Golden Generation, um, you know, the, the board of directors that represent the A-League clubs, headed up by guys like John Satsumas who only have the game and, and best interests of football at heart. Um, so he, he'll be a huge part in the game over the next 12 months as well. So really good and really good signs to see what comes up over the next 12 months. Mate, um, show number one, um, great to have a really in-depth chat with uh, yourself and Bo and, and give your insight on you know, what, what happens at a professional level. Let's let's look at uh, many more to come. Yep, looking forward to it. Thanks, guys.